0: This cold open is the part where I introduce the episode. This episode is brought to you by Horizon Books. That's right, Horizon Books, serving Seattle's book-loving community for 48 years with one of the best collections of used books in the region. Mention UpZones at the register today for a 10% discount. That's right, our sponsor is Horizon Books, and this is UpZones.
1: You
2: elect
1: yourself.
2: Things are, changing.
0: Things are changing. You can't say it, but you know it's true. You elect yourself. Things are changing. You
2: elect yourself. You elect yourself.
0: Here we are, another rainy day here in Seattle. It's a Tuesday. Usually we publish on Sunday nights for Monday, but. Uh, I've been traveling a bit. I've been to one of the only growing cities in America that's worse prepared for growth than we are, Denver, Colorado. I actually love it there. My my wife's family's out there and we visited a bunch of family for Hanukkah and other related winter festivities. We really loved it and had a great time. But man, driving around that city is a nightmare. If there's a lesson at all in how to build the city, it's go to Denver, spend you know, 72 hours driving around those interconnected highways with no viable transit system, and then come back and plan a city to look exactly like the opposite of what you just experienced. Is that negative? I think it was a little negative. We're going to turn that around. Seattle has hope, is what I want to say to everyone who will listen. And that's why we're doing this. And as we round out the first half of the second season of this show and this experiment that we've done, um, I, I I guess I wanted to close out the year with a bit of a bit of fun uh, a couple conversations that we didn't run exactly when they were recorded so they've been collected over the past few months um, Casey J work an amazing writer is an independent writer who's been publishing for Cascadia magazine among others who is just I mean the, the molecules were flying around the room when we were talking we jumped right into some, meaty shit that I think, uh, you know, we don't really deal with density or urbanization for t- f- the first half of the conversation, but gosh, it was pretty darn fun. And we just really talked through some important issues facing journalists in the face of trying to evaluate where we are as a country and as a city, especially. And then uh, Matt Hutchins, a second time guest in the show, an amazing architect, it stood up um, a movement called more, which is around creating a, f- more options for affordable housing, and uh, he just wanted to keep us updated on what's going on in the city, and I always love hearing from him because he's got some real common sense opinions about how to infill and create better space here in the city and a better future because of it. And my good friend Doug Abbott, I think it's his sixth appearance on the show, he's practically Alec Baldwin at this point. Had a really interesting take on presidential politics, we're a uh, Seattle podcast, but you know Doug. Weighs in on all manner of topic. And, you know, I think the common thread in all three is these are just awesome folks to talk to. Really great perspectives and a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, none of them were timely. So what I found was as you record some of these conversations, you have folks come by the bookstore. uh, And maybe, you know, you record Casey on day one and then Carrie Moon comes in and you want to run her that Monday. Or, uh, uh, you know, maybe you record Matt and then, you know, Katie Wilson comes in. So you want to run her that Monday. And I just had a couple of guys in the bank that were just, they had so much to offer. So we collected them here. It's a little longer of a podcast, but three great conversations. Check it out. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. You have been writing, it looks like you've been writing six, seven, eight years here in the Seattle area, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, and I really kind of got serious about it in 2013, four, 2014,
0: 15. Mm-hmm. And you were in Seattle Weekly for a while?
2: Yeah, two to two and a half years ago. What about. was that like? It was good. I was a very, it was a big learning experience. I worked with some really great people. It it was, one of the things I learned was just seeing the struggle that, like, contemporary newspapers have with that business model, trying to make ends meet when the resources just aren't there. Like, right. Like, the ad revenue that that pushed print journalism, print newspapers, and television for like our parents' generation just—it's right. not there anymore. And the
0: classifieds, right? I mean, Craigslist mm-hmm. has put them out of business. Really, Craigslist List and Amazon mm-hmm. and you name it, right? You mm-hmm. just go and get what you want now. But newspapers were how you sold your products, right? Your mm-hmm. your sort of secondhand or or sort of non-commercial products, and mm-hmm. it's just gone. The market's gone.
2: Yeah, it's and it's obvious the what we've lost, which is these institute the fourth estate these institutions of like watchdogging power and right
0: just as powerful as the powerful not not so much anymore kind of scraping along
2: right but also i just like i try not to be too uh nostalgic about it because it was also like because the traditional news has a specific point of view from a specific group of people and a specific audience that it's aimed at yeah and so like if you think of it from the perspective from like a sort of outsider cynical of Trying to be objective, perspective, thinking about news as like propaganda—it like the function that it fulfills yeah, in yeah. terms of storytelling. Well, it creates our society. truth
0: in a sense, right? Exactly, exactly—the
2: yeah. kind of truth that it, it creates and like the parameters so, for existence. So
0: here's what's interesting, right? Uh, we're just diving in here. Uh-huh. This, this is awesome. You you almost get into this postmodernist versus modernist or rationalist. Um, exactly. It depends on which side you're on. Yeah. Where in in one sense you say, well, yeah, newspaper was the domain of the, generally the wealthy and educated, and certainly even if they didn't begin it, wealthy and educated, they became so white, male, mm-hmm. cis, et cetera, coastal right. However, within those confines, and that almost sounds funny to say, mm-hmm. but because there were so few channels, mm-hmm. there was this tension around what truth was. And there mm-hmm. was this at least like, it, it, cynically, you could call it a feint or a, or, or a, a gesture, and mm-hmm. more more kind of optimistically, you could say a, a genuine, if flawed, attempt mm-hmm. to reach some sense of like a falsifiable truth, right? Right. A consensus that, on a method. A consensus on method that everybody could uh, speak to. And so then you get to the postmodern critique mm-hmm. of journalism, which is, well, that's all bad because it's biased. Mm-hmm perspective. Mm-hmm. Well what you get in court in concert with that is now you also have the technology where so you've got you've got the critique of the people mm-hmm. doing the journalism, you've got the technology to kind of break their not monopoly or duopoly, but let's, call it, let's call it an oligarchy of, oh, yeah. of media, yeah. right? And now there is no really not even a gesture to truth, right? I mean it's just like a Consensus yeah. truth. There's yeah, a gesture to lived experience, but not consensus truth.
2: That's a really good way of putting it. I mean, when you think about, like, I think about Neil Postman's writing, uh, oh, and yeah. I think about, like, our current president and how <laughs> truth, right. the what truth is has become such a contested issue.
0: And and shouldn't be. Yes. At least if there were still a robust consensus model for, you
1: If, know, you're, if you're a modernist you, and you believe in this you, sort of thing and mm. don't think it's all bullshit.
0: Right. <laughs> I, and and, I and mean, that's where we are, right? That, that debate is where we are as right. a kind of a country and a and a society,
2: I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that both sides are right, that something important was lost and that it also kind of follows the method of freedom of an Athenian slave owner, like freedom among equals, but the people below us are not within that freedom and are not citizens, kind right, of thing. Right,
0: got gotcha. gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, yeah. Oh man, like class, yeah.
2: classic white American male property owners' freedom.
0: Right, and we lost this thing that they probably weren't even achieving anyway. This, uh, this again, this faint at some of it. Consensus yeah. truth. Right? Yeah, I
2: mean, and I don't think it's complete. No, it's I, not. Would, I would argue it's not just a faint. Like right. it is a faint. It, it ha- serves as a rhetorical class, a class's rhetorical. Function, but it also is like a that falsifiability, y- yeah, yeah y- an attempt at consensus, yeah. science, basically.
0: I love that. I love it. Anyway, hey, I, 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 I the, usually we don't dive in quite so fast, but that's awesome. Cool. I, I did want to ask you because I think we have something in common. Okay, which is we've both run with the Bulls. Oh, my God. So, I and I, I was going to gra- off to grad school and I said I was working in the Obama administration for a while. Oh, cool. Uh, decided to kind of mm-hmm. bail and I got burned out on politics and, and went off to grad school. And
2: flew. I can't imagine anyone getting burned out on politics. <laughs> <laughs> Says the guy who
0: basically oh does it for his, for his living. Uh, That's the uh, recording part of it. But but so, I mean, I'm just curious. I, I read your writing. It was scintillating. It was awesome. And oh, it shucks. actually captured my experience. Oh, right. I sent you that specific You sent case. it over, yeah. And I don't think you knew that that i had gone no i had no idea i right before grad school i was like screw it i've never been to europe that's awesome and it was just the month of my life right well about halfway took a train by myself what didn't go with friends you know mm-hmm. left barcelona got on a train
1: mm-hmm. went
0: to pamplona like got up really early in the morning as you know mm-hmm. strapped on my sneakers and those bulls are past you before you even you mm-hmm. do all that work and it's 10 seconds. Oh, you
2: don't I, you barely even see them. Yeah. It's that's... it's just a stampede of people.
0: Right. <laughs> and isn't that a metaphor? Oh. <laughs> for yeah. so many problems. Oh god,
2: yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, I guess that that's great. If you want to see what an overloaded syst- what a system that is breaking down because it is overloaded past capacity is if you want a metaphor for that. Yeah. It's the traffic in Pamplona during the running of the bulls.
0: Yeah. Wait, 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 when'd you go?
2: Oh, it's 20. 2009 summer of 2009 i think
0: okay so i went in 2011 yeah so you actually went a little before
2: me yeah i was in the philippines in, in the peace corps uh, okay in 20 in 2010 20 most of 2011
0: okay um, that's interesting i mean it's just kind of cool to
2: see the city right mm-hmm.
0: everyone's in white and red oh there's yeah. no holiday like that here not even saint patty's day christmas whatever oh yeah everyone's in uniform
2: yeah oh this is such a I feel so silly and self-conscious saying this, but Europe has culture. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, they, have, they, they,
0: they do centuries old, right? right? Like they've been, they're just in their mm-hmm. DNA. They've been doing it for so long at this point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Can I just brag? Can I just openly brag for a second? Yeah, and yeah. Not even pretend that I'm doing something else. So like, that's I, the point of the show. Man. Okay. So I walked the El Camino de Santiago. Yeah.
0: The, the, the pilgrimage. Um, yeah.
2: The pilgrimage from the French border to, Oh, Sorry. From the French-Spanish border to uh, Finisterre, which is like on the western coast or western coast of Spain, so across by like
0: Sevilla a little bit. Yes, that sounds
2: familiar. Yeah, and then and then I got all of my shit stolen the night before and after. I I think maybe I ran with them. I can't even remember it all. It all gets kind of mucked up. But yeah, there was definitely
0: no red wine involved in that. In that process at all.
2: Oh, uh, well, I was sleeping outside. Whoa. Cause I, I was funding my own trip. Yeah. Uh, so so I didn't, yeah. I like, I'm allowed to sleep outside. Okay. I'll sleep outside.
0: That sounds so, awesome in the summer.
2: Yeah. Well, I guess this kind of ties back into homelessness. Like living outside in many ways is not that bad. Like there are elements when it can be bad, but like most of the things that are awful about, Being homeless or having to live outside come from, like, our rules around treating people who are living outside. Like, if I'm allowed to camp in an area where I can keep things clean and, like, I have an ability to take trash out and, like, some control over my environment and the ability to, like, build community with the people around me, Mm -hmm. then you can create a fairly livable circumstance.
0: Does that happen in um, homeless encampments now? I mean, do they start to build, like, responsibilities and...
2: They they do, but they're constantly being swept, so it's impossible to develop long-term infrastructure. Okay, yeah, makes sense. That existed in the jungle before that got swept in 2015. The underside of I-15, yeah, yeah. um, which mayor then Mayor Ed Murray ordered after there was a high-profile shooting involving drugs under the under the highway. Mm -hmm. He um, and a couple months or several months later, it got completely pushed out and police ended up shooting a man who was whole, threatening somebody else with a knife during the process since then i'm sorry i'm sort of tangenting here one of the effects of that was to break down existing social infrastructure which was by no means perfect but like it was a structure it was a kind of community in the jungle in the jungle yeah i got you. to the point of where now like campers are essentially like refugees just kind of like wandering around the city from point to point
0: point. and for listeners i mean what who's what's the jungle
2: Uh, The jungle is it's a big area underneath and along the I-5 highway in Seattle, which is like a, a raised elevated highway where people have long camps to stay out of the rain and to hide, basically. Right.
0: And is that just because it, it tends to be such that uh, those kinds of things happen because the conditions of the area are, are more amenable? Can, people can kind of be left alone usually, and they're not, to your earlier point, they're not necessarily in anyone else's face, so they're not going to be as, uh, pushed out quite as rapidly as in other spaces. Is that
2: kind of the same here? W- Sorry, the same with that the era. same
0: with the, with the jungle? Is that is that what was yes.
2: it Yes. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Like, and I don't want to romanticize how nice it was in the jungle because, like, there were terrible things, mm-hmm. uh, violence against people and overdoses and all of the terrible things that human beings can do to each other. Whether
0: they're housed or not. Right. Yeah. And
2: are exacerbated because it's poor people without yeah. access to resources and who, like, have to stay underground because maybe they have, like, a criminal warrant so they can't call the police if something happens to them. So I don't want to romanticize how nice that was because it wasn't but it was much better than the current situation. So in my current work, I'm a caseworker with formerly houseless people where uh, my agency is very subscribed to the philosophy of harm reduction, which is about meeting people where they're at uh, as opposed to like insisting on sobriety. It's like if people are still using drugs or alcohol, we'll continue to work with them and try to like get them to use in a way that is less harmful, like switching from injection to smoking, for instance.
0: Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming there's some kind of data that shows that this is... Oh, Very like a, much a, so. A mitigating impact on the lives of the... Uh, yes. Of the- yeah.
2: There's... Uh, I... Don't have it memorized, but I mean, I talk about it. I'm not sure if I talked about it in the article, the three cities, one housing crisis. You
0: know, we'll post that uh, when when we run this. uh, We'll post that up so folks can read that.
2: I I know for sure that with this, so um, supervised consumption sites where people can go to use illicit drugs in a basically a clean space with clean equipment with a nurse standing by in case Mm -hmm. they overdose that I, I can say definitively that that has been empirically shown to save money, save lives, not increase crime. In my opinion, the city's current approach to homeless camps is a, a harm aggravation policy, so, which which is like instead instead of facing the horror of like human beings in these really desperate situations with really difficult behaviors, Sometimes instead of facing that, frankly, and coming up with little piecemeal ways of like making things a little bit better at a time, investing basically into into helping people get better or get right. let, get into a better place. That's one approach to this kind of crisis. The other is to try to like make it somebody else's problem to try to shed liability for these the people. The Giuliani approach. Yeah, that's a great, yeah. Giuliani is a great proponent of that approach. Are you thinking of when he was the mayor of New York? And he was
0: literally busing homeless folks right. and addicts out of the cities, paying them. Actually, right said here's you know whatever hundred bucks get out of here yeah oh God, I didn't even know it was that bad it was literal it was a literal like the 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 check or I, mm-hmm. I'm presuming it was probably cash but money would have the, made the, the money or whatever yeah. it was uh, is waiting for you on that greyhound
2: mm-hmm. oh my god somewhere
0: else yeah oh my God so yeah anyway, so that that's sort of the metaphorical but it's like a literal thing that yeah you know um, okay so and and talk a little bit more about it was like, it seems to me like it's been Murray. Mm-hmm. Durkin, right? It's just like a continuation of this.
2: They're, they're politically they're the same person. I'm in their personal life. I have no idea, but politically right. they are identical.
0: Right, and well, tell me a little more about specifically with respect to not only the sweeps, but you know your perspective that they're aggregating the situation. I, I just want to kind of get my head around that a little more.
2: I I would say that they're aggravating the situation in the sense that, like, we were talking about homeless camps and how there was some infrastructure in Mm -hmm. the jungle and community, and now there's none because people are constantly being pushed around and around. That's an example of, like, we're aggravating the harm by pushing people out so, like, they're going to be even less able to take care of themselves. They're going to be even more likely to engage in bizarre breakdown behaviors. They're going to be even more pushed to, like, rob places to get resources that they can't get otherwise. So in the long term, that's the effect. But in the short term, you get them out of the neighborhood where you're getting the complaints from. And so you can keep passing this hot potato, figuratively, around the city. Yeah, but
0: it keeps getting hotter and hotter.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, it's so funny to think, you know, if you if you read a self-help book or if you're, you know, into self-improvement or if you're, you know, you're one of the so-called best and brightest and you're mm-hmm. trying to really perfect your, your craft and your daily life. What do they say? Routine, mm-hmm. community, accountability. And if you're pulled out of your routine and you lose your community and you no longer have accountability, you can't be your best. And if you're already desperate...
2: I'm nodding furiously right yeah. now. I couldn't. I couldn't agree with you more. Someone was pointing this out to me the other day. That like even our seemingly benign or, or, or benevolent housing policy destroys community in the sense that we house individuals. We don't house communities. Hmm. So like if you so, so one of the things with with the people I work with and, and other and my colleagues is like trying to help people get through the sh- like social and identity shift between going from like. And a member of the undercast who there's a certain set of rules and survival behaviors that help you when you're on the street. Right. And those cease being beneficial when you're housed, if you're trying to stay housed. And so like trying to help people get there's transitional, that, uh, which uh, is aggravated by the loss of community and how, and, and uh, old community is actually often a problem because guests who will like come in and like get drunk and cause cause rowdy problems and, and get, get people kicked out. This is a common issue we deal with. So my point being that even our apparently benevolent policy is destroying existing communities and forced social conformity it kind of reminds me of like native american boarding schools when they yeah that that metaphor yeah 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 what's the
0: next big fight
2: possibly supervised consumption sites Mm -hmm. it looks like well, I mean, it's too early to say because she hasn't announced her uh, initial budget at, as a, or her budget proposal as of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes out on September. Tw- her budget proposal comes out on September twenty fourth. So we'll see. Yeah. But from this is
0: Durkin you're talking about Mayor
2: Durkin. Yeah. Yes, Mayor Jenny Durkin. From what I hear, it's not. The safe, I mean, not from what I hear, supervised consumption sites were recommended two years ago by a public health task force Mm -hmm. as part of a larger strategy to save lives in the face of opioid overdoses. It hasn't been happening because it's a political football, like local NIMBYs will get upset about it and the Trump administration could go after Seattle. And if I'm sitting in the mayor's office, like as a politician, I would want to say very I would want to have a lot of bark towards the trump administration but try to avoid that fight if i could right. like why would i want to they're the
0: federal government they're yeah. the federal government yeah.
2: even though sh- i mean th- and, that, and that's assuming a cynical political games gaming mm-hmm. standpoint mm-hmm. but that's what it looks like to me mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. so you're saying consumption and then what happens if they don't what happens if it's if it's penciled out
2: oh people just keep dying it's been hundreds since the recommendation came out two years ago
0: But where's the, where's the axis, the next axis of the fight? I mean, who, Oh, where do we take, you know, where does somebody take that if they're interested in in kind of making that become a reality?
2: That is unclear at this point. I don't, I, yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I would, I would speculate the county, but that's all like the city and the county are both kind of like targets in the safe consumption site activism already. I really don't know. Like, I, I think that we got to make it happen soon or we're going to lose the momentum that we gained two years ago towards trying to like stem solving
0: this. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. and this speaks to a really interesting question of that getting back to the uh, initial conversation we had around Mm -hmm. meaning and, you know, Mm -hmm. truth and all that. How much complicity do you think the average Seattleite has who especially a house Seattle. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I guess it's a leading question because if anyone's listened to my podcast, I think we are kind of all collectively complicit in the ho- the housing crisis here, uh, especially this kind of single family zoning bullshit that we, that we have here. Um, I don't know. Is that, is that you ever do anything thinking about that?
2: Nodding even more furiously yeah, now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think about that all the time. And I think that we're all complicit in a lot of things, including, and the most, the most obvious example is the housing and homelessness crisis. How people are like, the, our most vulnerable people are literally slowly dying outside on the streets. And it's like, well, yeah, but I, I, I don't want my kids to have to see that. So make them die somewhere else.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Or, or, you know, God forbid we should build another couple of apartments so that the middle class can afford it.
2: Right. It's actually, this is a really interesting instance of, I guess like class, I'm not sure if class bribery is the right example, but I like, well, I think of, like, our society as a pyramid it's stacked in different, like, class levels. And each class being sort of, like, incentivized to kick down and discipline the class below it mm. as they're trying to, like, scramble up into the class above it. Yeah, right. And so, like, I, like our petty bourgeois in this city, the Nimbys, the homeowners who yeah, right. feel very poor because they are compared to, like, big business and the ultra-rich, but are much more wealthy than the average person. Like, they just, they're just worried about their own. I mean, this is what this is what a dog eat dog society looks like this is what happens when we all have a consensus that there is no social contract like power is what matters and your ability to survive but like human life there are very few i mean we're a very polite white city so very few Seattleites would say this out loud that like lives human lives don't matter but like it's the way it's the way that we behave. Like we, yeah,
0: you can't argue with that. I, absolutely. What would you say if you had Durkin right here? What would you say? If you got ten, ten minutes with her, what, what would you ask her?
2: Please, pretty please with sugar on top. Fund supervised consumption sites. I'm very. I and a lot of other people are very upset about the way the head tax went and all of the people who are going to die now because that funding won't be there. But that happened and we lost and this is a chance okay here's my pitch here's my pitch is that, this
0: is it this is what i want to hear
2: here's my pitch is that there's there's a uh, mayor durkin if you ever hear this on there, there's the you can do well and you can do good you can do good by funding and um, implementing this co- this coming year not just funding because i've uh, yeah, it could be that there's funding, but it'll, like, get bumped to next year or something. Yeah, like, this year, right now, fund in- it. Yeah. Immediate implementation. You can do well, Mayor Durkin, by saving lives. Not just, like, the number of people who are initially saved, but getting the ball rolling in the direction of harm reduction could... I mean, it could and should sweep across the nation because we should not be waging a war against drug users. Mm-hmm. We should be medical and compassionate. And then
0: you get to be the mayor that...
2: Right. And the exactly. And, 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 the, and then on the other hand, like you get to be the mayor who took that stand and suddenly all of the people on the left, all of the people like me who are like just red with rage at the way that these other political fights went down are suddenly behind you. Mm-hmm. It's a, it can be a unifying liberal, le- like local liberal left issue for the mayor who is pretty obviously in the pocket of business mm-hmm. at the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Alright, fair enough. I mean
2: That's my I, pitch, Mayor Durkin. I, Pretty pleased with sugar on top.
0: I, I don't know if Mayor Durkin or any of her aides listen to my show. I, admit, I mean yeah. they might not even ever have heard of it, but uh, we'll... maybe this one will get it. Maybe this is makes both of our This games, is the big maybe. one. This is the, <laughs> we're, gonna, we're
2: gonna get this It all started here.
0: <laughs> Alright, man, so we like to end every interview with a segment we call If You Care About Uh-huh, you should. Fill in the blanks.
2: If you care about I feel so I, I feel weird the way I'm phrasing this because it comes close to the verbiage of all lives matter which symbolizes yeah, something very whole, different than what different I'm trying to say yeah even though it is literally true that all because <laughs> that because I'm trying that's what I'm trying to say is that yeah, if you care about it, human it, life yeah yeah. Oh, yeah, if you care yeah. about human lives other than the people that you know if you think that like human life is intrinsically valuable then you should care about the housing and homelessness crisis and the associated problems of like drug related problems and like public publicly public disorder from problem behaviors, like this whole nexus of problems that we're all super familiar with from living in Seattle. Like if you care about not just quote unquote solving that problem, because we can do that by just pushing people out of town and leaving, making sure they die somewhere else. But if you care about those people, then you should ask your local city and County leaders to fund to, I mean, I guess, it's specificity is good. So I'll stick with supervised consumption supervised. sites. Yeah. The
0: mayor, the citizenry, my listeners, all 15 of them. I mean, it's, yeah. you're, you're covering everybody now.
2: Yeah. There's a website. I think it's called yes to SCS.com. Maybe we can post a link to it. That'd like be this. great. But yes the, to S. S.C.S.
0: Sam, Charlie, Sam.
2: Yeah. Supervised consumption sites. Got
0: it. We'll throw that up too.
2: That, yeah. That has um, information about the issue and also who to get in touch with and how.
0: Outstanding K.C.J. work. Thank you so much for being on.
2: Thank you so much, Ian. This is great.
0: <laughs> You're late. No, I, I like I should have got this set up a while ago. So, hey, how you doing, man? Good. Good. How, how you been? Good. It's been a while. I think you came on. Uh, just get on a year ago. It was like January, February of last was it, year. Was it really oh, a year this ago? Year. Oh yeah. Yeah. This year. Oh okay. Yeah. Trump was already president. So,
1: <laughs> well, got another two years of that. Um, what are we talking about today? I wanted to talk about um, accessory dwelling units, and yeah, it's been
0: a big one here. A lot of the guests, they're I mean, just because the vote and everything.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a hot topic. It's kind of running through the running through the process here, and yeah, the, I mean. I feel like there is there's so much potential with this particular ordinance even though it's it's so you know the actual impact on the street is going to be so low key I mean you won't even see all these accessory dwelling units but at the same time I think we'll be able to you know integrate a lot more households into the existing neighborhoods and so it's so there's there's a big upside there's very little downside uh and so it's easy to organize or about It is I mean where do you think this like opposition
0: comes from and we can talk specifically about the Queen Anne people, but mm-hmm. at a personal level, like what
1: is it that what is the problem?
0: <laughs> what is <the> problem? <laughs> right?
1: I mean, I, I think you could you could pin it to fear of change, but I don't think that's really it. I think for the longest time, you know, we've we've pegged our financial future to the commoditization of of the houses right we we assume our houses are going to go up in value yeah. a certain
0: amount of growth every year right
1: and so and so i think we uh, when you see that and you see like you know the erosion the safety net the social safety net in other places it's like well, really, you have to maximize that one big investment. Otherwise, you're going to be, your, uh, your house
0: is your safety net. If you're a homeowner, yeah, exactly, yeah.
1: exactly. It's a huge part of people's, people's, you know, financial or let's see, homeowners financial sort of planning. So, yeah. so I think then when you talk about something that, that doesn't necessarily imperil it, but at least, you know, you know, maybe there is some downside, then people are, you know, rightfully have some fear that like, oh my gosh, you know, what if something, you know, awful gets built next to me and it somehow, you know, jeopardizes Mm -hmm. that value. You know, so it's it's existential. It it is. It's funny though,
0: because there's other existential shit that, that. uh, well, I'll take uh, uh, the market capitalization of a company, right? Right. A standard progressive, and I would even say on this particular issue, like all the way to kind of middle of the road person, just politically, right? Looks at a company and says like, They should be allowed to protect their value, but not, like, by exploiting workers. Right. Right? There's this kind of social trade-off, right? But then you get to home ownership, and everybody just says, like, yeah, I can exploit renters, and yeah, I can exploit the young, and yeah, I can exploit, you know, the low-income and even middle- and upper-income renters, right? Right. I mean, it's just this weird disconnect where... Even where in other places where wealth is created, we sort of go, yeah, create, you know, our society is capitalist. Our society is largely capitalist, largely free market, and we say, like, yeah, create wealth, but not like, a, not like you can't do these five things, right? right. But with with home ownership, it's just like,
1: well, and the and the uh, yeah. the weird kind of inversion of that is like, yeah, you know, I might be I might own a house, and that's inherently uh, speculative, right? But somebody else make a, makes a buck on on building and selling houses. You know, i.e., a developer, yeah, then yeah. it's yeah, yeah. somehow circumspect, and you know, there's there's this green yeah, five bit, bit Developers, yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas, you know, I kind of I want my house to <laughs> I want my house to appreciate. It. I just don't want somebody to like, you know, yeah, profit and compromise my house's value at the same time. Right. It's like so. I think there's right. like this really kind of potent mix of of yeah, a fear that that like is bubbling, you know, right below the surface uh-huh. that is that is fueling this, and it's not you know I, some people say it's like uh, environmentalism, you know, like we're going to lose trees when we build cottages, for example. But
0: that falls apart on its face. I mean, right. the 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 macro environment is clearly served by density. Right. I mean, assuming the
1: same number of people. Yeah.
0: I guess if if a ten, you know, if a hundred million people just died tomorrow, I guess that'd be good for the environment. But like, <laughs> assuming the amount of people that we have, right? You right. want them to live more densely, and and. So that idea is just sort of on its face doesn't work.
1: Yeah, I, I you know I did a calculation that you know one mature tree uh, sequesters about forty-eight or fifty pounds of carbon per mm. year. Oh, that's interesting. But that's like six miles. So or it's, it's no, it's like it's fifty miles I think by car or something like that. So so like yeah yeah. And so the idea that we're you know that that somehow uh, that that we're going to be able to plant enough trees to offset the carbon that we spewing the atmosphere by driving further and further, you know, or living further and further away from our job. It's just like the math will never catch up. Yeah. And so, yeah. so the idea that, um, you know, when we're designing a uh, cottage or whatever, that, that if we lose one tree, that's a, that's, you know, somehow equal to, yeah. you know, building a house on the sticks. Well, let's, let's do the forest.
0: math, right? Like, so I, unfortunately I, I have to commute cause I work in, on the east side. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I guess have to is a strong word, but um, I, 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 there's not really a transit option for me based right. on where my office is and everything. Yeah, so that's ten miles. Yeah, so that's twenty miles round trip.
1: Right. Which and is so like every three days per every three days, you're you're being in your car, whatever. Right. You're a equi- that's the equivalent, you know, carbon sequestration, sorry, sequestration of a single tree. Wow, that's a really great point so, of data. Yeah. So it's it's just uh, I mean that really put it in context for me. And so so you know, yeah, I think people are are fearful of. Changes to the environment, they're fearful of a lot of things, but I think fundamentally it's a fear of like the future.
0: Yeah. So for them,
1: for them, yeah, yeah. yeah personally, so yeah. Um, well, how?
0: do, Okay, so like that's great insight, right? But now, how do we fight that? I, I mean, I don't want to waste my time fighting like the Queen Anne group, right? right? Like, how do we? How do we just get the city aligned where everyone's going? Yes, you know, in, in this case, it's very actionable case. More accessory dwelling units, right? right? Let them build a cottage. Let them build a, uh, an attached mother-in-law, whatever it is, right? What is the the tangible next thing that somebody who's listening can do that today, tomorrow, you know, the next day to actually help get that done?
1: Well, I think that uh, so right now it's it's uh it's going through its the bureaucratic basis. but I think that now more than ever, uh, keeping pressure on the city council people to because they all generally support it. However, they can. You know, they can wiggle around a little bit. But I think trying to get get two council members and really the suite of things that the EIS proposes all are great on their face. And it's... We want to make sure that city council sees all those things and doesn't have it get whittled away. What's the EIS for the list? Oh, uh, environmental impact statement. Yeah. And so, What's this one, though? What, what is the one you're referring to? Oh, for, uh, for accessory dwelling units. Right. So, they, so the so city they did, a, did it. They did a big study to see if, like, well, actually, what are the traffic impacts? What are the parking impacts? The tr- loss, of, potential loss of tree coverage. They did an incredibly exhaustive study, which the Queen Anne Appeal uh, seeks to undermine. And, you know, and so, but... I think that because of the comprehensiveness of that of that uh, original uh, study, it will probably go to council. But then, at that point, it's a matter of keeping council people with their eye on the ball right. uh, with regards to the the potential benefits. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, the,
0: so this is literally just like a write your congressman kind of a thing, but it's write your councilman kind of yeah, just email.
1: We're kind of like in this in this zone where we can't. Where there's not much we can do to act because it's it's like in this quasi judicial process yeah, there, I got it, got it. So, so I wish I could say like yeah, go to go to meetings, but there aren't any right now. We just mm-hmm. uh we just had uh the Queen Anne Council had a meeting kind of explaining uh why they had appealed and the folks that I organized with the the more options for right. accessory residences more check them um, out. Yeah, we organized about uh, 20 or 30 people to go and tell their own stories and I think that in some cases, the opposition to this idea comes from people who are in, are housed. They're in kind of a bubble, right? They may have purchased their house like 10, 15, 20 years ago yeah. and are, are not really sympathetic or understand the plight of, of people who are trying to buy a house today. Right. You know, it was really interesting. One. Or one, live or period rent the house. Right, to, right. Yeah. Do any of those things yeah. <laughs> that you really need to do. It was, um, you know, Change is a big, big issue. There was, there was one, one woman there who was telling a story about how, how she has an, an autistic son. And since moving to Queen Anne and, you know, being in that, being in that neighborhood, it's walkable that her son had really sort of responded to that community and that neighborhood and was mm-hmm. like, like interacting with people and, you know, neighbors knew her, knew him. And, and, but her rental was getting torn down. Replaced by a big apartment building. And, uh, and she was, you know, distraught about, you know, basically having to relocate from this neighborhood that she loved. And, you know, she was actually, you know, criticizing just the pace of development, but she was the, saying it's happening too fast. Well, she's, she was mistaking like these big apartment buildings for what we're talking about. Uh, you right. know, in the fact that the kind of development that the accessory dwelling units would provide, small cottages, mother in law apartments, you know, garden suites, those sorts of things are absolutely perfect for the people who That's are getting getting yeah. displaced, yeah. yeah. Yeah um by the big apartment buildings. Right. So so I think that, you know, in terms of changing people's minds, I think it's important to be just honest about what's in this in this appeal what's in the eia the environmental impact statement and what isn't and i think that's that's one of the things that that uh that we're working on now is basically uh briefing briefing council on just all the sort of claims that aren't real a lot of those yeah, yeah. a lot of those. we all
0: want i think a lot of my listeners and for sure want to see a, a, a denser city we want more transit options we just want to see this place grow in a way that's equitable and and. Right. and Creates wealth for everyone, and, and wealth isn't you know I include just quality of life for for everyone, uh, and, and and it sounds like you know we're at a moment, and I don't mean to get preachy, but it sounds like we're at a moment right now in our city where we can make a couple of these big decisions, and if they get made, we'll grow the right way. And if right. they get made the other way, we're going to be on a track to San Francisco.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's you know I think I think the last time I was here, we talked about urban villages. I mean the urban villages uh, where these big apartment buildings are happening. Right? Yeah. Right, that are di- displacing the old houses. They're they're zoned for big apartment buildings. Yeah. That's eighty five percent of all the housing that we're expecting in the next twenty years. Is is everyone is going to live in one of those unless we create these opportunities for you know small apartment buildings, backyard cottages, right. accessory dwellings.
0: And when and I think the important thing that I always like to point out is when you cram everyone into those it means that folks with it creates a weird supply and demand problem and it yeah. means that folks with less income that the I like to use the word the, the term of like a barista mm-hmm. or or a waitress or server or something they're not uh they're hard working they're they're certainly contributing to the economy <laughs> they're like right people who do stuff you know but they're not able to afford to live in the community where they Fucking pour the drinks. Right. Right. Which is like the height of uh, iniquity. Right. Right. So, this idea that, like, if all you can do is build, you know, an eight story apartment building in an urban village, and then right next door, well, maybe across a street, like right. a certain street boundary, you know, there's this single family house, and even the people there are not allowed to have a mother in law or, right. or an apartment. Where's those people going to go? Right. They're going to go to, I don't know, where, Issaquah.
1: Yeah. All right. can't Right. Renton. Yeah. And all those are, those are all just, yeah, recipes for inequity. Cause, you know, where are all of our, you know, biggest parks are, yeah. are like sort yeah. of traditional schools, yeah. you know, traditional, you know, all these sort of traditional community assets, uh, that are, that are huge for quality of life. And they're the things that make, make Seattle what it is. Yeah. You know, those often, you know, were established when those single family neighborhoods were established. Right. So if we're saying people are either going to go elsewhere or they're going to only go into the urban villages and everything else is sort of a sanctuary from change, then then we're just, you know, further uh further in the inequity that we've already already built. It's like a new new layer of redlining, uh, but it's the urban village boundary. What keeps you so excited about this stuff? <laughs> you know, I think uh well, the stakes are really high. You know, there's the that UN report about having a decade or in change to really to do uh, something, yeah, to do something, yeah. and this is like one of the things that that I know that I can I can work on. Yeah. But, yeah. but more than anything, it's like if I think twenty years down the road, where's the next generation going to live? You right. know, anybody that's younger younger than me who didn't you know happen to be lucky enough to uh, been able to afford a house at that at that time, they're shut out from you know a lot of the greatest things about our city if if we don't change how we think about yeah. you know what our city is. Yeah. So.
0: Well, Matt, uh, thanks for coming on, man. Sure. Uh, I love having you on. Come back again. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll get you on it uh, next time. There's something with more.
1: Yeah. M O O A R more. And yeah, more and roar. You know, it's the, uh, it's the uh, you know, an acronym born of the internet. All
0: right, it's time again for Soup Sessions with Doug Abbott. We just had a bowl of soup. Now we're gonna fix the world's problems, Doug. What's going on?
2: Uh, not much. Excited to be back.
0: This has been a, a good run. I think you're. By the time this airs, you'll be somewhere in the jungles of Myanmar. <laughs> Doug's uh, Doug's taking a little time with his uh, his wife Shin Yi. They're gonna they're gonna travel the world. So I got you. Yes. Before you go out, what do you got time. for me?
2: Well, uh, I think. One thing that's been uh, interesting is now that the Stormy Daniels Michael Aventi lawsuit is thrown out.
0: Well, one of the two, right? Okay, there's one a, of the there's two. A, yeah, there's a second one still going.
2: Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So that's I guess that's good. But uh, <laughs> so President Crybaby thinks it's you know he he tweeted that he's able to uh, go after them now that the lawsuit is uh, dismissed, which I saw, and that and that got me thinking, and my thought was that I'm not sure why. Before this hasn't happened, but it should definitely happen now. Is that Stormy Daniels should basically come out and say, you know, the funny thing is, President Crybaby has a micro penis.
0: Oh yeah, he's, she's already said he has a normal penis, but there's no reason she can't change her story.
2: Exactly, he's she... not not like he's ever changed. his Yeah, story. <laughs> right, right. And what would that accomplish? Just, I think it would make people feel good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: solving the world's problems one (laughs) anti-Trump innuendo at a time yeah, I think this one um, you know, I'm not really sure if it solves problems but I think it, it, maybe it could just make, you know make the world a better place hear me out, okay? okay? if she does that, maybe he goes full hog, no pun intended and tries to attack her for a year and none of his shitty policies ever get enacted
2: well, when you said full hog, I thought you meant pull out his penis. <laughs> which
0: I, I mean... which would guarantee him re-election, just... <laughs> Based on the way this country is going right now.
2: <laughs> oh, man. I sure hope not. I mean, my thought was maybe it wouldn't guarantee him, but, uh, you know, you're probably right. No, I, I, I like this idea.
0: I definitely think Stormy Daniels, the ball's in your court. Both balls are in your court. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Alright, Doug, see you later. See you, man. That was Casey J-Work, Matt Hutchins, and of course Doug Abbotts. More than anything, what I would take away from this and ask y'all to get involved with is just contact your elected officials. It actually seems to make a difference. That's what they think. All music by the Subcons. Dope opening poetry sample by Anthony McPherson. Sound mostly by Naboo, a little bit by myself. This has, as always, been a Cascadia Underground production. My favorite. I'm your host, Ian Martinez, and we'll see you in two weeks.